Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab those out. And as you're doing so, um, pastor asked me to encourage everyone tonight to uh, make sure that you are joining us and embarking on this journey of this fast with us over the next 21 days. I really believe it is going to be a journey and it's one of those things that as we invest into our spiritual journey, we're not going to come up void. That every spiritual uh, investment has spiritual dividends. Amen? Amen? That our spiritual investments pay spiritual dividends. And I don't know about you, but the best time to start your investment was yesterday. If you were taught about retirement, taught about investment when you were young, they always said, do it while you're young and your nest egg will grow to be a huge thing by the time you retirement. And so when you start investing spiritually while you're young, you can expect spiritual dividends just to continue to grow and increase throughout your, your spiritual journey. Amen. If you would go ahead and stand with us tonight. Um, if you've got your Bible in hand, I want you to actually put it down now. I want you to grab the Pewback Bible uh, that's there in front of you. We're going to do a little drill. Uh, for those of you on the front row, there should be some uh, Pewback Bibles on the front row. Um, we're going to use those tonight. Make sure you got a uh, black Bible that should look something like this. And you are going to uh, uh, open up to um, page 700. Pastor Jim Rayleigh always said that we stand for so many things in life. How about let's stand for the reading of God's Word. So open up to page 700 right at the end of the Old Testament should be the last page of the Old Testament. Make sure you're in your pewback Bible because your Bible's not going to work for this right now. Page 700, 699 is Malachi chapter 4, and then you can flip over to page 700. Everybody there? There's nothing on page 700, huh? It's empty. There's no words. God's silent on this page. Can you imagine he's not saying anything to his people at this point? That there's no text and I've always thought that God is some, saying something to, uh, to, to us. But there's no message, there's no text at this point. I want you to look up on my screen tonight. Not that, it's supposed to be the one before that. When God goes silent. There's silence, there's nothing, there's blank space. You may be seated. That's our text tonight. It's foundational that God goes silent sometimes. How many of you have ever been on a cell phone call? And as you're talking on the phone, the call just drops, just goes away. I'm not talking about the time when you're on the phone and it sounds like the other person is underwater, but the time where the conversation just goes Blank. I'm not sure. It happens to me a lot. Not sure if it's my bad cell coverage around where I live. Not sure if it's because I've got a broken iPhone 6 or if it's because I've got most likely AT&T. But sometimes and a lot of times my cell phone just stops working. Or how about another scenario? You go to a, a play or a, a symphony or a Broadway show or a movie and, and in the longer ones you're, you're there and it's getting really good, the kind of good that you're on the edge of your seat. And as you're watching the screen, you're on the edge of your seat because it's just getting to one of those points that is a climax. And as it is there, the screen goes black and up pops the words intermission. And you're like, really? 
<laughs> right now at this good part and you have those cliffhangers and they tell you to go out for 10 minutes, come back in, and, and then they'll get going again. And as that word pops up, it never happens at a dull moment. It's always at a high point when it goes silence. And I think it's kind of like page 700, that it's like our relationship with the Lord. That at some times or some seasons or even for years for some people that we're in a place where we've been with God and his voice is familiar and then all of a sudden it's just radio silence. There's nothing. We feel that he's not speaking to us. We're not hearing his word. We feel like our prayers are bouncing off heaven. And it's like page 700 where God is just silent. Often in plays or theater... You have different acts, and at some point there's an intermission. In the Bible, you have the closing of the Old Testament and the opening up of the New Testament. And as I was studying the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament in my Bible reading this past year, I noticed that there was a common theme between the two. Although they were separated by almost 430 years, there was a common theme between the two, even though they were written in different time periods. I knew that the world scene had changed so much in between these time periods, but there was one thing that had not changed in this time period, or, or, or on this, this scene. It was the message that God was telling his people. See, Malachi finishes up his prophecy around 430 B.C., and then all of a the sudden there is 400 years of silence. I mean, can you imagine this, that Israel had prophet after prophet coming to them and declaring, thus saith the Lord, declaring the word of God and writing these prophecies down, and then all of a sudden they get to a point where the voice in Israel goes out. Goes out completely. I mean, they had had prophet after prophet for years. You go back through the recorded history of the Old Testament, all the way back to Samuel and the judges, people that were always preaching the word of the Lord, and it had been a long time where there was a period of silence for 400 years. No more recorded prophecies, and the voice in Israel seems to go out, and I think it's kind of like the world tells us today that we got into a place where God's word isn't any longer relevant for our lives today, that his word is outdated and his voice has gone out. Maybe that was for a previous generation, but Israel is in this state where there's just complete silence. And tonight I want us to look at this time when God went silent. My first question to you is, why does God go silent? Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Skip over to uh, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If, that, if then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am your master, Israel, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. O priest who despised my name. Israel was God's beloved, God's chosen. And I love Malachi's message because it's not a message that was just relevant 2,500 years ago. But it is so relevant for us today that the Lord, he had this special love for Israel. 
that God in his infinite wisdom had chosen Israel, that there was a special election, if you will, to Israel, a special preference that he called Israel his chosen nation. See, it wasn't that God didn't love the rest of the world or treated the rest of the world with contempt. And it wasn't that every Jewish person was on the road to heaven. But God in his infinite wisdom had chosen this nation state to both bless and accomplish his purpose in the world. But in spite of this special election, in spite of this special choice that God had bestowed upon these people, the people and the leaders of Israel continually dishonored the Lord. I mean, if there's one person that places their special preference, their special election on top of your life, and you want to live in the manner that is conducive to his blessings and his grace and mercy flowing over your life, I would think it would be God. And Israel had grown into a place of complacency that as they were a chosen people, a people that he had called out of darkness and into the light, they had grown into a place where they were complacent and walking in a manner of dishonoring God. And it wasn't just a one-time uh, a one-time event of dishonoring God, but it was a continual dishonoring of God from generation to generation. In the Bible, in fact, you have 12 minor prophets and four major prophets that their messages were all quite similar. A message of repentance, a message of return, and if they would do so, God would heal them and bless them. During this prophecy, Malachi shares how the leaders of Israel and the people were dishonoring God, that they were offering sacrifices to God that were polluted. Malachi 1.8 says they were offering sacrifices to God that they wouldn't even give to a friend or a neighbor. That their offerings that they would give to God, they wouldn't even give to the person that lived beside them. I mean, think of the disdain that is going to God in this point of view that you wouldn't even give your friends this, but you're going to go give it to God Almighty. That's not something that we want to get trapped into or be party to, but this is what the people of Israel were doing. Church, anything less than our best is not good enough for God Almighty. His word says, seek first his kingdom. That means our number one priority is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That his kingdom is to be exalted above every other thing within our lives. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not just part of your heart or some of your heart or half of your heart or most of your life, but with all of your life. Romans says, present your body as a living sacrifice. And what the Jewish people were doing during this time is that as they were going to God to offer their sacrifices, they were offering sacrifices that were contemptible, that were lame, that were broken. Their leftovers to God. You see, the sacrifices that were to go to God were to be sacrifices that were undefiled. Sacrifices that were completely pure. Without spot or wrinkle, which is why Jesus was the only human that could fulfill what needed to be fulfilled for the sacrifice because he was without spot, without sin, and without wrinkle. And so God asked of the people during the Old Testament times to present offerings in like manner. That these sacrifices were to be without blemish. But they were offering ones that are broken. Imagine 
Imagine you are at home and you find out you have this VIP coming out to your house. And so you rolled out your spread. You got out your paper plates. You got your china out. You got your solo cups. And you got three weeks leftovers out of the freezer to offer to this VIP. Well, that's what the people were doing to God. They were getting out the very last things. Uh, we probably don't need this, so let's go give it to God. And I wonder how many times are we guilty of the same thing in our lives where we say, I've got some, what we would say in life, discretionary income that it doesn't really matter where this income goes to. I will offer this to the Lord. When God is called, not for our discretionary items, but for our first fruit items. He's called for the very first, the very best of our life to be offered unto him. And so Israel has gotten into a place right before 400 years of silence of offering all of the leftovers to God rather than offering the very best of the best to God. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I remember one time my mom was a, away and we were at home with um, dad. And <laughs> um, as we were at home, I think it was about 9.30 at night, dad got a call that tomorrow at 9 a.m. the governor is coming to your house. Yeah. And mama wasn't home, so guess what the house looked like? <laughs> it looked like a mess. And anything less than our best was not presentable for the governor to come to pastor's house to sign some papers and some documents. And so we did everything we could, no matter how late it it required us to stay up. I got on, he told us, get on the phone and call your friends and get them over to the house to start helping things. And so we're calling everybody that we know to get over to start cleaning the house. Why? Because we wanted to offer the best to this VIP. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. Imagine that. God is declaring to Israel that my name is to be exalted, to be glorified, to be lifted up among all mankind. And you as my chosen state. The people that I've put my favor on, that I've signed my name to, the ones I've chosen, you profane it. That this nation that he had called, loved, endeared, and blessed so much to glorify himself was a nation that had begun to constantly profane who he was. See, remember this next time you're tempted to give God your leftover, that his name is to be honored and reverenced. When you're tempted to give God your change. See, he wants the best of our best so that his name will be exalted by all. The people of God were not just profaning the name of God by not giving the best of themselves, but listen to this. Malachi says that all their offerings were defiled. Malachi chapter 2 says that they were walking faithlessly in the covenant of their marriages. Malachi chapter 2 also says that they were defiling his word. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. See, not only were their offerings polluted, but even the priests, the spiritual leaders of the people, 
were teaching corruption. They were not teaching faithfulness. They were not faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord. And it was becoming a stumbling block. They were calling evil good and good evil. And Malachi chapter 4 goes on to say that they were even robbing God of the things that belonged to him. You want God to go silent in your life, just rob him. Rob him of the things that he says are his. Rob him of the things that are to be consecrated to him and you'll be sure to have a silent relationship with God Almighty. So why does God go silent in this one case? They hadn't just broken the law, they had corrupted it. Church, how many times is it our own actions that lead us to a place of silence with God? We often look at God and say, God, why have you gone silent on us when in turn it's really our walk with him that has caused him to go silent on us? We often blame him, but in reality, we've distanced ourselves from him. He says that he is close, he is nearer than a brother if we will just call to him. But how often do we, because of our lifestyle and our priorities, we begin to distance ourselves from him so that the voice of God goes out and goes silent in our life? I heard one pastor say, You want to hear from God, just open up the Bible and read. And often we wonder why God isn't speaking to us because we're not even reading his word. We've completely distanced ourselves from the love and from the grace and the mercy of God. We haven't just fallen into sin, we've partaken in iniquity, meaning we've embraced our sin. We've planned out our sinful behavior. We've done everything we know we aren't supposed to do and we've embraced a sinful mentality and acted corruptedly leading ourselves into a period of silence. Why does God go silent? Often it's our own behavior, our own ignorance. One person said the trouble with ignorance is it often feels so much like expertise. That our ignorance often feels like we are experts. Have you ever seen this in the world around us? Just turn on the news and you watch the experts talk and you're just thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> They are so ignorant, and they are experts in their ignorance. Martin Luther King Jr. said, nothing in this world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. That people, they have become so sincere in their ignorance that they really believe what they are doing, and they're so conscious of their stupidity that they're walking and they're not bothered by their conscientious stupidity. And that's the world that we live in, so why does God go silent? Was because Israel had all of these things listed out by God. They had the law, they had it written out what to do and what not to do. And when they embrace a lifestyle that is contrary to the plan and the will of God, of course he is going to go silent. But I'm thankful as was resonated with each prophet. Through the call of repentance, there was a clarion call of hope. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the, way of, or, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. What is that talking about? That is pointing to the coming of the Messiah. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. 
See, I love these last words of the Old Testament, the very last words that are closing out, going into this blank space of 400 years, because it declares that he will send Elijah. And who is the prophetic Elijah referring to? It was referring to John the Baptist. I mean, imagine this, that the last words of the Old Testament are prophetic of the very first words of the New Testament, and there's a 400-year gap in between. I mean, that's the coolest thing to me, that as they're closing out the Old Testament, 400 years before the New Testament starts, the very last words of the Old Testament are prophetic of the next words that are to come within the New Testament. See, God promises that a prophet will arise who will prepare the way of the Lord by turning the hearts of the Father to the children and the children to the Father. But don't miss out on the very last words. It says, lest he strike the land with utter destruction. I mean, we often hold on to people's last words. And the last words that Israel heard for four years was a message of there's consequences for the actions that you have persisted in, a message of destruction, and then the mic drops. See, why does God go silent? Often it's because of our, our own ignorance, our own brokenness. But I love to watch what God does during this 400 years. Because even though God goes silent, what is God doing during these 400 years? See, God during these 400 years, he's still working. Because despite our sin and rebellion, God doesn't take a break from our lives. Even though he might be silent in our lives, he's not taking a break from our life. Even though we're persisting in ignorance and brokenness and we don't hear the voice of God, he doesn't take a break from working and implementing within our lives. See, despite our sin and rebellion, God is still accomplishing his redemptive purposes in the world that is around us. See, I've got some news for somebody tonight because just because he is silent doesn't mean he isn't moving and shifting things within your life. Just because God doesn't speak to mankind doesn't mean he isn't shaping world history. See, God wasn't taking a sabbatical in these 400 years. God was, he was still working. The curtains might have closed and our mission might have popped up on the screen. But watch what happens during these 400 years. During Malachi's time, Babylon was the world power controlling pretty much everything on the world scene. But by the time the New Testament starts, there is a rapid shift to another empire that is controlling everything, the Roman Empire, right? And so all of the balance of power had shifted from east to west. And watch this, right after Malachi's time, there was a man by the name of Alexander the Great, if you would go ahead and throw up his picture, who conquered and ruled the world as a 20-year-old. How many of y'all want a 20-year-old ruling the world? Can you imagine what you were doing at 20 years old? This guy, Alexander the Great, is ruling the world. And I love this picture because um, this picture is preserved in history in the city of uh, Pompeii after Mount Vesuvius had erupted and flowed over it. And this is a, um, a mosaic that was on one of the floors detailing who Alexander the Great was. And so Alexander the Great at 20 years old, you can see right here, is ruling the world. And because of his power and might, the Greek language was spread throughout the known world. See, a message I recently listened to from Chuck Swindoll's pastor and Luis Palau, you hear him on Christian radio all the time, their pastor, he said that as Alexander was on his way to Jerusalem, to conquer Jerusalem, 
that a secular historian by the name of Josephus records that he has a vision during the night of this man in a white robe coming from Jerusalem to meet him. And as he is, uh, wakes up the next day, this vision is fulfilled that one of the priests come from Jerusalem and has this encounter with Alexander the Great. And as they are having their conversation, this priest shares with him the prophecies of Daniel, which had already been written about Alexander the Great coming onto the world scene. And so Alexander is so impressed by these prophecies that he spares Jerusalem from the impending destruction that was coming. Because Alexander the Great is impressed, he really blesses Jerusalem. What does this cause? This causes the Greeks, or the Greeks who are known as Hellenists, to begin to move to Jerusalem at this point. So these Greeks are beginning to migrate to Jerusalem. And as they are moving to Jerusalem, they start having a liberal influence on Jerusalem so that two parties begin to form in Jerusalem, the Republicans and the Democrats. No, I'm just kidding. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees begin to form in Jerusalem because of the liberal impact that the Hellenists are having on them. It's during this time and because of the Grecian influence in Jerusalem that all of the Old Testament scriptures are translated into the then known language around the world, Greek. So what is God doing during the silence? As Israel is messing all these things up, God is having his word translated into the common language of all mankind. You see, just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not working. He is having his word translated and is what we know as the Septuagint today. That all of our scriptures are now derived from and that we are blessed by it millennia later because of his working during the silent period. So even during silence, even through the empire of a man named Alexander the Great who claimed to be God, he is creating a common language for his word to go forth. After the fall of the Grecian empire, and I'm going to try to speed through this so I don't bore you with history, um, but the Roman empire arises. And this again while God is quiet, that he's allowing wicked kingdoms and wicked rulers to arise to accomplish his divine purposes in the world. See, the Roman Empire was not known for how morally pure it was. The Roman Empire was brutal and immoral as they come. And they are attributed, though, to building the road system. So what does God do? He creates a common language during the silence period, and he creates a common road system or transportation system to give his word wills to get it out to the ends of the earth when the time comes. So during his silent period, he's working very intricately through every life and through every heart. I love this because through the road system, God gives access to the gospel to the world, but the gospel had to first leave Jerusalem. So what does God do through the Roman Empire? Again, a brutal and immoral empire. He allows persecution to come through this immoral empire to Jerusalem. As the persecution is coming, what happens? The, Christ, or the Jews at that time begin to spread throughout the then known world. And then later on, once persecution comes to the early church in Jerusalem, the early Christians begin to spread throughout the then known world to their Jewish gatherings that had been dispersed because of the earlier pressure. And so the gospel is getting wills through the persecution of the, of the church going out to all of the known world. What am I trying to say? That God will accomplish his purpose and his plans despite what is going on with mankind. 
It doesn't matter how sinful, how broken, how corrupt the world may be. It doesn't matter how brutal the world may be. It doesn't matter how much sin might be rising in the world around us. And when we look at the news, we think, how can God use what is going on around us? See, what appeared to be the destruction of the holy city was actually the impetus for global salvation. See, it seems crazy, but it's true that often our comfort leads to complacency, whereas our discomfort leads to destiny. See, if it wasn't for the discomfort of the early church and the Jews in Jerusalem, the gospel would have never gotten outside of the walls of Jerusalem because they would have been comfortable and complacent at that point. But so many times, church, I think we miss it. We look around in the day and age that we live in, and we wonder two things. How could God allow this mess? And how could God use this mess? I mean, if we flip on the news right now, we wonder, how can God allow this? A loving gracious, merciful God, a pure God. We look at the brokenness in our world around us and we say, how can God allow this mess? But then we're confronted with the next question is, how can God use this mess? And my answer to you tonight is, I don't know how, I just know he will. You see, that's faith, church, that when we look at the course of history, and we don't know how, and the early church had no idea how, and the Jewish people had no idea how, they just knew that he will use the mess. See, somebody in here needs to give God praise because you found yourself in a situation where you don't know how God is going to use this mess. You don't know why God has allowed this mess. I just wanna encourage you tonight and tell you that he will use the mess if you just remain faithful throughout the mess. I don't know how he's going to save in the midst of silence, I just know he will. I don't know how he is going to work through a marriage that seems completely dysfunctional, I just know that he will. I don't know how bills are always going to be paid. I don't know how the disciples always knew that bills were going to be paid. I just know that his word says if we seek first his kingdom, then everything else is going to be taken care of. See, we don't understand often and we can't conceptualize often how God is going to use the mess that is around us. We just gotta believe in faith that he will. That if he can do it with the Romans, he can do it with the Greeks, he can do it with the Egyptians. If he can do it for my grandparents' generation, if he can do it for my parents' generation, then he can do it for my generation as well. That it doesn't matter how broken things may seem or things may appear. He will use every bit of mess that surrounds us. He will do it again today because God ultimately is preparing the hearts of people for his message of good news. You see, during what appeared to be silence, the director was always working behind the scenes. The conductor is still putting things together. It doesn't matter if it's during the intermission. One set may be going out and a new set may be coming in. The first act may be completed and the second act may be beginning. See, sometimes God has to shift some things in our life to accomplish his divine purposes in our life. We can't live in the same. We can't live in yesterday's action and expect tomorrow's results. We've got to trust for God to continue working, moving, and shifting things regardless of how comfortable or discomfortable they may be. Things that were on the stage in the first act were good for the first act. But God in the second act has to shift some things. 
See, there's things that are good for us in the first act that are bad for us in the second act. So God has to cause some of those things to leave and to depart us so he can do what he wants to do with our lives in the second act. See, he needs some new things, some new vessels, some changes in our life. Because some of the people that were a part of us in our formative years are not for us in our years of success. They got to go. See, there's some people that God used to mold us and shape us and make us in one season. But when God takes us into the next season, he has to send them out. And we can't keep wondering about the the leaks and all the other things that we had in Egypt when God is calling us into the promised land. Egypt had to go so Canaan could come. There's things in our life, there are people in our life that in the first act have to go and as good as they were, as faithful as they were, as loving and accommodating as they were, they were good for our formative years, but they have to get behind us for the area that God is calling us into and shooting us into. See, Babylon had its purpose, but it had to go on the world stage. God was calling in a new season. He's calling us into a new season. And for us to grow to the next level, God might just have to go silent to get some things purged out of our lives in order to bring about his promises for our life. See, what looks like silence is God just preparing things in the background. He's answering our prayers, but sometimes it's just a process. Times and seasons will change, but God's word will never change. The environment may change. The world powers may change. America may be on the scene today, but 300 years from now, God could use China for his divine purposes around the world. It's not about nations. It's not about people. It's not about fame. It's about his will prevailing at the end of the day. The culture may change, but God's word remains faithful. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Verse 7 says, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak. What do we do when God goes silent? What should we do when God goes silent? Number one, we should stop and we should listen. How do we listen to a silent God? The first thing we should do is we should stop, we should listen, we should evaluate, we should repent. Because when God is silent, God is still working. We've got to pay attention to what he has just said. Because what he has just written is important. Malachi was a book of repentance. Malachi preaches to the people of Israel a message of repentance. And so the message never changed from God. See, the Bible is a meta-narrative on his redemptive plan for mankind from Genesis to Revelation. The message was always the same, repent and prepare the way of the Lord. And even though there is 400 years of silence, the message remained constant. You know how I know the message never changed? Because when John the Baptist comes on the scene just a couple pages over, the first recorded prophet in 400 plus years, he starts not just preaching, But he starts screaming out a message of repent. Repent. 
the message was the exact same. I was like, what in the world is going on? The prophecy 400 years beforehand is being fulfilled completely in the pages that are just a few pages over, but it represents a gap of 400 years. Because I love this, that John the Baptist, in Mark chapter 1, verse 3, it says, he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, John the Baptist rolls up vintage prophet style yelling, prepare the way of the Lord. It didn't matter that there was a 400 year gap. See, a lot of times we get lost between the message of grandpa's generation to the message of today's generation. See, John the Baptist, I can assure you, didn't wear the same thing that they wore 400 years beforehand. I know for a fact he didn't. He wore camel skin and he ate locusts. But the message was the same. I want to tell you tonight, there might be some packaging that changes, but the truth of the gospel remained the same from every generation. The techniques of presentation might change from generation to generation. And I know for a fact that they do because we don't do the same things they did in 1500. We don't wear the same clothes that Martin Luther wore. We don't wear the same or have the same haircut that Martin Luther wore. Because things change from generation to generation where the message of grace, mercy, salvation remains the same. John the Baptist rolls up, and during these 400 years, we know that there were people who served God, but no one rose up anointed and appointed for 400 years until John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what does this world need around us today, church? People who are anointed and appointed. People like John the Baptist, who will continue to stand up and declare, repent, and prepare the way of the Lord. He was talking about the first advent. But there's time for the church to start declaring, repent, prepare the way of the Lord for the second advent. See, he's calling a generation because he said, this is that which was poured out, uh, or what was prophesied by Joel and Peter's generation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But there's a latter outpouring the Bible speaks of, of the day in which we live, that there's going to be another outpouring of his spirit that will welcome in the presence of Almighty God at his second advent. And it's time for his church to stand up like Elijah did or John the Baptist did and begin to proclaim a message of repentance and prepare the way of the Lord. Because his, his, his grace is going to come. His salvation is going to come. And one day that eastern sky will split and the Lord will come. If the worship team would come to the stage, what do we do during our times of silence? We stop, we listen, we evaluate, we stop what we're doing, church. We begin to study and listen to his word. We evaluate where we are and we repent of the things that we have done wrong. And as we do, we position ourselves for the next stage. I love this and my hope was to preach this message during Christmas time because John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord, was preparing the way of the advent. And as we position ourselves through repentance, God begins to come near. Verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the, heart, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. 
John the Baptist's sole purpose was just to prepare the way of the Lord. He was there to turn the hearts of the father to his children and the children to his father. He was preparing them for the coming of the Messiah. And God wants to turn your heart towards him tonight. Because most importantly, his heart is already turned towards yours. Malachi prophesies that, that his heart will be, of the father will be turned towards the children. And the children's heart will be turned back toward the father. And if there's one thing that you don't miss tonight, know this, that God's heart is already turned towards yours. His heart of love, his heart of grace, his heart of mercy is already turned towards your heart. And it doesn't matter if he is silent. It doesn't matter if there's blank space that your prayers are hitting heaven. He's waiting, he's desiring, he's longing, he's yearning for you to respond and come to him. That church, as we get into these times of silence, as we get into these times of gaps in our spiritual walk with the Lord, that we stop what we're doing, we get rid of the busyness and we sit down and we look into his word. Because although there was not a written prophecy, his word is always alive and is always speaking. And so if we will just look deeper into his word, he will speak to us. We cannot continue to distance ourselves from him as Israel did. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. His heart is turned towards each person here in this house tonight. If you would go ahead and stand, I'm not sure who all is in this house tonight and what your spiritual state is. But if you feel that things have been silent in your walk and in your relationship with the Lord, I promise you God's still working. But He wants you to come near. He wants to draw you near. He wants to call you out of that period of distance, that period of disconnection, the period of a solid ceiling to your prayers. And he wants to call you into open communication and open dialogue. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his grace. And he wants to, you to know that despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite your waywardness, that his heart is turned towards you. See, often we look at ourselves and we think, man, we've got to clean ourselves up so that we can come to God when in reality, God just wants us to come as we are. And as we do, He will begin to change and transform and work the things out that need to be worked out. And so with everybody's heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here tonight and you're distant, you're distant from God Almighty, and you want that freshness in your walk with the Lord, there's some spiritual things that are dividing you from the Lord that maybe you have backslidden, maybe you've walked away from Him and you need to repent and get some things right. I'm gonna ask you to just slip up your hand tonight and wave at me. If you're here tonight and you need to get some things right because God has gone silent in your life, not because He is distant, but because you've grown distant. 
because you've grown cold. He's calling for you tonight to draw you near. If you slipped up your hand, there were several hands that went up. I want you to just come to the altars right now. And one of our prayer team members are going to pray with you and, and plead with you that God will just begin to work and operate in your life. He is desiring of relationship with you. He is desiring open communication. He is desiring the transformation of your life. And so if that's you and you slipped up your hand, come on to the front. God is calling you out. He loves you. He wants you. Church, hear this. That Malachi said he is going to turn the heart of the father towards the children. His heart is already turned towards you. His face is already shining upon you. His hands are already stretched out to you. His voice is calling to you. Come. He's not distant. He's not going to reprimand you. He just wants you to draw nigh. So if that's you tonight, come and let's pray and make spiritual reconciliation tonight. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that your heart is turned towards us. And I pray, Father, that God, as people respond tonight, that you would draw them into your life-giving, redemptive purpose and plan. God, that they would know that you're not angry, but you are loving them in Jesus' name. If you're in this house tonight, and maybe you've been serving and you feel like your prayers have gone empty, and you're at a place of disconnection, I want you to come to this altar, and I want you to just begin to pray. Maybe you haven't been out serving and living a crazy life, but you just feel that you're in a desert moment, you're in a dry season. I want you to come and just begin to say, God, speak. God, open up my ears so that I might hear. And I want you to just come to the altars and get on your face before Him because He loves you. His face is turned towards you. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into this dry and thirsty souls. Sing, Lord,
about tonight. He's desiring to forgive and to heal. sin of Israel that God went silent on them. And when we look at our nation, we see the brokenness and the sin that persists and the response is this song that we cry out in repentance and God promises that as we as a nation repent that he will hear our prayer from heaven, he will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. And so if you would just gather your belongings and I want you to come to the front I want us to begin to, as a body of faith, I want us to step out and pray for our nation, that God would forgive our sins, that He would heal our land, that He would heal the hearts of the men and women. He would heal the division that is in this nation. He would heal the brokenness. I want us to cry out in repentance and just seek the forgiveness of God Almighty for our nation as we sing through this song once again. Father, we cry out for the United States of America. God, I thank you that you've caused us to be a beacon of hope to so many. But Father, we also realize that because of Hollywood and the secularism that we become a stumbling block to so many as well. And I pray, Father, that as you look over the balconies of heaven, you would look upon this church tonight crying out in repentance, crying out for forgiveness and for salvation to flow forth from your hand to our nation. God, we realize the answers to our nation are not political answers. They're not financial answers, but they're God answers. And so God, we repent of the brokenness that have persisted because of the offering of our lives when we've refused to offer you our first and our best. God, we repent for the brokenness that has existed relationally within the home. Start at the starting point, God, to our neighbors and to those who are around us. We repent for the brokenness in the churches, God. We repent, Father, for the selfishness and the waywardness and the substance abuse and all of the things that are going on in this nation, the murder and the, uh, God, the brokenness that persists. We just ask for your grace and we repent of the sins of our nation. God, hear our prayer, forgive our land, and God, heal our land. Forgive our sin and heal our land. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, let's sing this song out. 
tonight that God would heal our land. see God awaken America this year. I'm telling you, 2019 is a great year to see revival break out in this nation. But it's going to start in places just like this. Amen. People hungry for God. We're going after God in 2019. I want to lead this congregation closer to the Lord. I want to lead my family closer to the Lord. But we've got a purpose in our heart. We're going after God this year. He is our urgent, amen. We must find him, we must have him. And that's what 21 days is doing, amen. I just wanna challenge you in closing, closing, everyone do some form of fasting. I'm not gonna put anybody under condemnation. If you see me in a restaurant, you know I'm holding the fast, amen. I went and ate a veggie burger today, amen, amen. I'm, I'm fasting meats and sweets. And, uh, and, but I, I just challenge you to do something because every one of us need to get closer to the Lord. I know what it is to live with the touch of God on our lives. And I want that for 2019. I want God to be close to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I want us to thank Pastor Jordan. That was an incredible word tonight. Amen. Amen. I've always been intrigued by those 400 years between the Testaments, 400 years, and God was silent.
but he was working. Good word, good word, and he's working today. Amen, hallelujah. And I believe he's going to raise up some 20-year-olds. They're going to take this world. I believe he's going to raise up some 30-year-olds. I believe he's going to raise up some 40-year-olds, some 50-year-olds, some 70-year-olds, some 80-year-olds. They're going to have the touch and the anointing of the Holy Ghost on their life, and we're going to see some things happen in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, lift your hands. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that was preached tonight. Thank you for the ministry that took place. And Father, we give you all glory as we, on this first Sunday of 2019, what an incredible day it has been. And we give you 100% of the glory and the honor and the praise for it all belongs to your matchless name. Amen and amen. Hug somebody's neck, love them in Christ. Come on, worship team, lead us in one more course. Amen. Sing my song. Sing a new song. Come I wanna on. sing a new song.